This is The Guardian. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, pod fans. It's Max here. Um, uh, yes, you've guessed it. Uh, Ralph Hasenhutl was sacked by Southampton. I'm going to say four minutes after we stopped recording. Uh, it's not worth an extra emergency pod, not because we don't respect Southampton, but because basically we discussed it as if he was about to get sacked. Um, so hopefully you'll understand. And we've got a lot of World Cup previews to do. We've got a live show to plan. We're really busy and we just didn't need Southampton to act in this kind of... They're basically disrespecting the pod, aren't they? Or they're upholding the pod values, whichever way you see it. But look, we never got to the bottom of whether Ralph Hasenhutl was good or not, but we wish him well. We'd like to see him again so we can have that discussion again when he's the manager of West Brom. Um, in the meantime, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Is it time to stop asking if it's time to take Arsenal seriously as title contenders? A comprehensive 1-0 win at Chelsea. The warm embrace of Cucurella and Xhaka. Meanwhile, if City aren't going to drop points when they're down to 10 men for 70 minutes, when will they? Will we ever actually find out if Ralph Hasenhutl is good or not before he gets the boot? Reports suggest he's done, but obviously he can't be until we've finished recording. Good on Eric Dyer for getting that mistake out of the way before the World Cup as Liverpool's first half edges out Tottenham's second 45. Aston Villa scored twice early at home again. Why didn't Stevie G think of doing that? A cracker at Elland Road where Somerville leaves it late again. There's pressure on Moyes, another beauty from Tielemans, and Adam Lalana get on that plane. Also today, who said the FA Cup had lost it? I can't even say it. But some fun upsets in the first round. There's an MLS classic, and should Richard Madeley host this pod? All that plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. on the panel today. Lucy Ward, welcome. Good morning. Hello, Paul McInnes. Hello, Max. And hello, Barry Glendening. Hi, Max. Uh, very hard to work out what order to do the games in. So by all means, if you are support a club that are lower down the running order, you can yell at Gary Lineker. It's all his fault. Uh, Chelsea nil, Arsenal one. Uh, Matt says, what needs to happen for pundits to accept Arsenal are in the title race? Chelsea had no shots on goal today. It's a young team with no fear, with Emil Smith-Rowe still yet to come back from injury. Surely they're in the mix. In a way, Paul, it, it felt like the kind of win that champions have. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a real statement performance. And you could see the way Arteta responded to it. He thought that. 
to go away to a top four side and, you know, really hold them at arm's length, you know, could have scored more goals. But just I think the resilience of it all was 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 the most impressive thing. They didn't look ruffled at all. I think you can kind of, you know, the, the average age is quite young, but, you know, there's a reason players like Bakaya Saka and Odegaard belie their age in terms of their experience. But they just look really on it and they, they sort of play with a, a, an air of experience at this moment in time, which I think, you know, bodes very well for them. You You kind of think at the end of the day, there's still areas of their team, if they had injuries, substantial injuries, they might not be able to flourish in the same way as a City might. But, you know, they are they are playing at the level of a, a very top team right now. And Lucy, to be top ahead of this Man City team out of this many games is really just incredibly, I mean, we don't get a trophy for that, but it is incredibly impressive. Yeah, I think it's particularly impressive because when Arteta was struggling a bit, when he was trying to get it going and... People thought that he was useless when he obviously wasn't. But it takes a while yet to get rid of the the players that affected training negatively. And I think he he did that. I think that's a massive thing because he's got quite a young group. So if they have people to look at in training who don't quite do things right, um, then they don't they don't have good role models to look up to. And I think that that is probably the major thing this season that's that's coming. And also he's brought in. Um, Zinchenko and Jesus. I think Jesus is just attitude is unbelievable, and obviously he's he's a main player. But I followed them quite a bit. I've done them in the Europa Europa League quite a lot this season. All their group games, and the other thing that he's managed to do as well is balance who he brings in to that Europa League group gives them a chance as they say go on then. Because since then, so obviously Enketia has played a lot there, but then he's played Jesus and Enketia together. So it's to, for people to think, well, it's, he's not just a replacement for Jesus. When Jesus gets tired, he's you know a, you know a credible player that can play with him as well. So it, it, I think it's worked. Apart from PSV away, um, I think everything that he's done has, has worked. Arteta and credit to him. The goal, Barry. Um, there are there are sometimes when there's a little moment in football where you think this is absolutely tremendous. And Marco Carella just hugging Granite Xhaka while the ball goes <laughs> past is one of those moments. Yeah, that that was I noticed that during the replays, and then someone highlighted on Twitter, and he, he just appears to be standing there, hugging him, and going, "Right, I am not letting you go," and and that's it. And then just looks behind him as the ball goes into the back of the net. But um, I think it was Gunner Blog on Twitter did point out if you look from the other sang- angle, um, Granite Jacker actually has him in an arm lock. Right. So he, he kind of couldn't move. So I think he might, you know, he could have made more of an effort to get away from Jack or made, indeed made any some effort at all to get away from Jack. But I think he's being unfairly traduced uh, in that regard. But the ball does go through Giorgino, Havertz and Thiago Silva uh, and, and might well have gone in anyway without Gabriel's help. But... Uh, it was an unfortunate goal, to say the least, for Chelsea to concede. The the plucky underdogs of uh, Arsenal, owned by the billionaire American Stan Kroenke, <laughs> keep their noses in front of the, the two state-owned juggernauts who are uh, breathing down their necks, and, and you love to see it. <laughs> that The hug, it reminded me, Paul, and, and maybe I, I don't know if this happened in school discos, in Norfolk, in the same way <laughs> that it did in Cambridgeshire, but you know the, uh, the like the slow dance at the end when you know they put on Eternal Flame, and then you just find a 
you know, a boy and a girl sort of couple up and stay very still together and don't really move at all. The that erection was- section, that's what we call that in, in our right. nightclub. <laughs> we obviously weren't that coarse in central Cambridge, yes, Paul? It just it reminded me of like a BBC natural history documentary more. Like he's like a little <laughs> bird who's got his kind of nest. He's assembled all his sticks and they're all in the right place. And he's sort of looking around at everybody going, look at what I've done. And here's, you know, look at how pretty my nest is. And then it's like, oh, what, something else is happening here? I mean, I do yeah. think, I think, I think, I do think if he had have tried to make a clearance at that point, because he was you know, facing the other way, he stood a real risk of putting it into his own net. But, you know, sometimes you've mm. got to try, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, I guess if every defender did that, it would obviously be quite an amusing scene. But then no <laughs> Arsenal player would get the ball, he, right? It would that's just be that's what he's thinking. Big. That's what he's thinking. <laughs> exactly. Be more like, like Cuckoo. Tom says, yeah, Tom says, is it is it time to admit that Potter has not, in fact, got Chelsea off to a flying start? Four games without a win in the Premier League. In that time, they've scored two goals. Are Chelsea the new slash old Brighton? Lucy? I think that he's had some really unfortunate injuries, Graham Potter, to, to, to that squad. I think it's quite unbalanced to start with anyway. And Kovacic not being able to play all the time has not helped either. Uh, and then obviously the the wing backs, which is how he bases most of his most of his play. I, I watched a couple of of his games. I, I did the the Brentford game, and I think that his results at the start has has obviously helped him. But he's he's a good manager, and and to be honest, it's whether Chelsea fans can can um, just make sure that they understand that it's a, that it is going to be a process similar to Arsenal and, it, and it, it, they're not used to that and it's whether they can sort of get around that but uh, you know there's definitely some success to come if they stick with him Barry where do you think Arsenal will finish I don't know if you can remember where you had them in your Premier League table but where do you have them finishing now he's going to go look I can't believe it I bet he's got it on his he's, wall he's going off to find his Premier League table I had them I had them fifth. I had them third. And I think they will finish second or third. As is that on your wall? Did you go to look at your bedroom wall to see where you put that prediction? Well, I have a little cork board that I stick things on. Cork board. Yeah. What what else is on the cork board? Do you live in the 70s? Um. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, what else is on the corkboard? There's a photo of my little sister in a cat, two fivers that are no longer usable. Uh, it is the 70s. A cardboard Offley hurling jersey and uh, some passport photographs of myself. Oh, perfect. That's all you need. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on. Um, to St. Mary's, Southampton won Newcastle 4. We'll do Newcastle in a bit. Obviously, they're going incredibly well. Um, Hassan Hoodle has not been sacked yet, Barry, but we are getting closer to knowing conclusively if he's doing well or not, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he he hasn't been sacked, but reports uh, from the Athletic suggest the club have decided to sack him. And um, someone on Twitter yesterday <laughs> mentioned to me uh, that um, this is the kind of Schrodinger's paradox that applies to Ralph Hassan career at Southampton (laughs) is he any good or not I'm arriving at my conclusion is that he he's not very good but he does have some good qualities and he's been slightly hamstrung they desperately needed a centre forward in the summer and didn't get one goals are a problem and but 
in his, in his credit column, he has brought through a lot of good young players and, and advanced their careers and sold them on for good money. So I've no doubt he would get another job if sacked, uh, but I think he will be sacked because they've got Liverpool away on next Saturday, so if he isn't sacked by then, given Southampton's dreadful home form, it's hard to see them getting anything out of that game. But it will be quite Hassan Hutlesk for them to go to Anfield and win and then leave leave his employers in a bit of a quandary if they haven't sacked him by then yet. Yeah, I think he has his limitations. I mean, I, I, I think he's obviously a good motivator and somebody who uh, you know plays a very sort of uh, Red Bull style of football that's in that's intense, requires a lot of energy, and that can get you some performances. But I don't know. There's much imagination in that team. Um, I don't think there's there's not much in the way of the unexpected, um, and so I think that 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 kind of that kind of limits them a little bit. When when they play well, they play well, and they I've said this before, and it's been a long time now since they've had this, since they had a hot streak. But they have had hot streaks under Hassan Huckle, and they've looked good teams. And fundamentally, though, I think it's I think going back to what's already been mentioned, I think it's the recruitment. Chelsea nicked their head of recruitment, Joe Shields, so he's obviously been seen to be doing doing a good job. But it is you know it goes right back to the days of Adam Lallana. You know where every time they had a good talent, they got sold, and they were replaced with somebody who wasn't quite at that level. And you know, various different coaches have been able to work some players up. Hassan Hukla is one of them. Uh, but you know, you look at the the back four yesterday, or the back five. Um, you know, you've got Bazuna, who's you know inexperienced in goal. Larios, Belakacha, Salisu, and Perro. You know, that is not. There's no experience, no Premier League experience amongst that back five. Um, that said, they had their chances yesterday um, and uh, earlier in the game, because you know, like the later Newcastle goal sort of came on the counter. Early in the game, had they taken it, it might have been a different result. But um, you know, they look they look short in, in in lots of different areas, not just up front. Seven goals and seven for Almiron, and some brilliant goals in that seven as well. I love Joe Willock's toe poke going in incredibly slowly and nice to see that Chris Wood still exists as well. Um, Newcastle up to third, Barry. Um, uh, as you say, the state-owned juggernaut, uh, which obviously we've talked about a, a great deal. Do you think they can finish top four? And if they do, who are they, replace, who are they replacing? Liverpool, Chelsea. Um, I don't think either of them are Guaranteed a top four spot by any means. They, I, I think they could finish second. And, and uh, could they win it? <laughs> Probably not. They don't have the depth. Do they? I mean, it's sort of similar with Arsenal, right? What's their, what's the depth of that squad like? Yeah. Well, don't forget now, we have a January window coming up. That's going to be crucial. Will they go mad in that? Will they... Maintain. Do they have support. any? Do they have any money? Do they? Have, I, I do they think have they have a few quid, <laughs> a few quid in a biscuit tin under the bed for for a rainy day. So yeah, that the, the January window. I I hate the transfer window, but I, this one's going to be fascinating because it'll be on the back of a World Cup, and at the World Cup, you all you, you have a few players who no one's ever heard of who light up the World Cup, get bought for a shit ton of money, and then aren't very good. <laughs> uh, James Rodriguez, um, El Hajjouf is a classic of the genre. So, yeah, I think the way teams go about their business in this window will be fascinating. 
Will Newcastle go mad? Will they maintain this, their cautious and sensible approach that served them so well so far? I think they will finish in the top four, and I think they could finish second. So, um, yeah, definitely. You normally finish that sentence with, <laughs> that sentence is quite often finished with, and good luck to them, but I noticed you didn't well, say, uh, you didn't they're, say they're, that. They're scoring buckets of goals, as you'd say, and they've got the tightest defence in the league. They've only conceded 11. I, I think the, 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 just to add to that, I think, you know, come January, uh, if uh, by all, you know, there's not going to be many games, Premier League games between now and then, Newcastle are going to look a very different prospect to the one they were a year ago. It's, it's not just going to be the investment. It's going to be the offering on the pitch and a lot of players, particularly outside of the big, you know, the big leagues who are playing in France or perhaps the, the, maybe even Serie A are going to look at it and go, okay, this is a real. This is the real deal. I'm more tempted now. I suspect James Madison will be a Newcastle player at the end of January, and he's playing like as well as anyone in the Premier League at the moment. So that's one they're almost certainly going to get in. And who knows who else? Mm. And he'll have a have had a good rest or a World Cup winners' medal. Who knows? Um, uh, speaking of the England squad, match of the day broke down Kieran Trippier's form this season and his stats, which were incredibly impressive going forward as well as defending. And since all the other right backs, none of the other right backs exist anymore, apart from, of course, um, Trent Alexander Arnold getting caught at the far post. Uh, you imagine he will start, be it at wing back or or at, at right back. Mike says, I fully disagree with any narrative containing Spurs' slow start. Liverpool were mainly kept at arm's length and in spite of mistakes, Spurs looked comfortable and Liverpool vulnerable when they attacked. Second half wasn't a case of Liverpool resilience. They didn't resist. On any other day, Liverpool don't just draw the game, they lose it, etc., uh, etc. Et Spurs' best performance all season. I felt, Paul, that once again, Spurs were much better in the second half than they were in the first half. Yeah, when they had to, when they had to be um, because they were losing again. Um, yeah, I, 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 I take, I take the point. I take the point. I mean, Spurs didn't look bad, and you know they hit the woodwork twice with Perisic. Um, they, they, you know, they, they crafted their moments in the second half. The result, could be, the result could have gone, could have gone the other way. That penalty incident, the shove on Sessignon looked like a shove to me. Um, how, however, I kind of. I, w- I would be hoping for. I'm hoping. I'd, I'd have hoped for. I'm a big Conte fan. Just the man, the myth. Um, I would. I've hoped. I have hoped for more than I have seen from Spurs so far, uh, particularly this season. And I, I, you know, I, I think that's what is it? Three, four games on the trot. They've they've thought they've conceded the first goal. Um, that's unlike. I think it's uh, more than that. In all competitions, like it's six. I think. Well, there you go. I mean, it's unlike his teams. They don't look particularly defensively robust. They're not scoring a lot of goals. They're relying on Harry Kane and all, you know as much as any Spurs side in you know recent years have. So yeah, I'm a bit disappointed. Not I don't think that reflects all that well on 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 Liverpool. I think you know you got some great fit. You know you got Mo Salah doing what he does and Darwin Nunes making the right decision for once. And that was that was kind of about it. But yeah, disappointed. I, I did think Barry the second half was brilliant. I mean two kind of quite flawed teams uh, you know Spurs really going at it Liverpool being quite dangerous on the counter I really enjoyed the second half as a football fan yeah um, it, was, it was entertaining and Liverpool were hanging on at the end for, for grim death I, I thought Spurs were maybe a little unlucky they had hit the woodwork there was that Kane glancing header that, that 
there were three people not quite in the right position to 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 turn at home. Yeah, I think they definitely should have had a penalty for that Alexander Arnold shove, um, because we we saw someone get red carded for an almost identical uh, foul the previous day. Um, but yeah, it's it's the slow starts that are killing them, and I. I I have no explanation for it. I'd be interested to know if if a former player, uh, Lucy, might be able to put her finger on what's going on there. I I, I really don't think that he has got the defenders that he wants, the the, the quality of defenders and and defensive-minded midfielders that he wants. That that would be my first take. So he protects first and he's safe first and then makes it about a 45-minute game and hopes that he's not sort of 3-0 down. But I think that... January, you may see some difference in Spurs in terms of, you know, Conte's team are traditionally sort of led by strong defenders. Um, Kulosevsky made a difference when he came on. They don't they don't have anything created from that right-hand side. When he comes on, that opens everything up. And I think that that makes a difference. But I, I like him, Conte. I like him. I like I like the... I know as a Spurs fan, you're probably looking going, oh, here we go again. We didn't play in the first half. But they actually did play in the first half. They just made sure that... Um, they were trying to be as sort of compact as as they possibly could be. But obviously, Salah was was on form, and it could quite easily be a completely different score that that game. So I don't think it's the, the fact that they don't play in the first half. I just think that he's safe to start with, and then sees where where perhaps his creative players could could exploit. On the other hand, Paul, I mean, it's a it is a huge result this for Liverpool. Yeah, you say that, but they beat Man City, didn't they? And then went away and yeah, true. Went away and got turned over again. It's a, I take it. I take it back. No, 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 no. no. I mean, I, you know, these are these are these are the, these are the sort of games where you do, you know, you do prove your metal in the league. And Liverpool, Liverpool are are, are a great side. Um, they, they they have they have their issues, you know, primarily with aging, I think, and not having that right midfield mix. But they're still a great team. I mean, I, you can't rule them out as top four contenders. I think the title's gone for them, but you can't rule them out as top four contenders. Because they could find form, and and I do think in in Nunez they do have a a player who could be you know quite destructive in the Premier League. I think he's got a lot of the right skill sets to to make a big impact. So, um, but at, at this moment in time, they you know they they've, they've looked this way before on the clock. They look tired. They look they look a, a little bit a little bit like they're running on empty. Um, so, I guess he will be look, hoping for some sort of rejuvenation post World Cup, but. You know, that's the thing when you've got a big club, your, your, your players aren't likely to get much of a rest during that time. Yeah, um, Canato made a difference coming back, didn't he, for Liverpool. All right, that'll do for uh, part one. Part two will begin at Villa Park. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm at the nail salon. I'm at the grocery store. I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Groceries through Instacart, delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store.
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. So Aston Villa three, Manchester United one. And Barry, really, Stephen Gerrard failed to capitalise on this, uh, the fact that Villa can just score at will <laughs> early in games at home. I do recall under his watch, they they were a bit spursy in so far as they, they'd often play very badly in the first half and he'd get stuck into them at half time and they'd be much improved in the second. And clearly he was missing a trick. It's a great start for Unai Emery and Manchester United were very poor. Obviously, they were without Bruno Fernandes. He was suspended. So Donny van der Beek came in and looked very off the pace and and, and practically anonymous. I, I don't really understand what's going on with Cristiano Ronaldo. He had that tantrum and was banished to train with the kids for a while. And now has been welcomed back with open arms and is also playing badly and doing nothing. And I think United were effectively playing with nine players yesterday and and paid the price. Uh, Villa were excellent. Jacob Ramsey was the outstanding player of that excellent collective performance. Aston Villa fans were absolutely thrilled. The atmosphere seemed to be rocking at Villa Park. I think that um, Gerard's formation was obviously didn't suit us. That's pretty obvious. But, you know, he was sort of basing it on um, like central progression, central possession. Whereas since he's gone, Dendonka is a massive signing. I I think he went completely under the radar. Dendonka is such a good defensive midfielder. So what they've done is just put two defensive midfielders who can get about and then realise that the likes of Jacob Ramsey, uh, the likes of Leon Bailey, it's all about front foot getting forward. And that that's just the difference. And I know it sounds simple, but it, I think sometimes that you can't see the wood for the trees as a manager when you're under pressure, that you think that, well, if I decide to change formation now, then it, that I'm, I'm admitting defeat that, that, that what I was doing didn't work. And it's, it's a very strange, you know, I've been very close to, 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 to managers and it you you really because of the pressure, it's very, very difficult to make big, big decisions like that. But it's obvious now and and the way that Emery plays, I've obviously done the homework. You know, the way that Emery plays at Villarreal was a sort of lopsided 4-4-2, depending on, you know, so Buendia was a little bit further forward. Very clever. He'll do a lot of lot of rep- repetitive defensive um, shape work. But if the if they're winning, then the players will buy in. And and I think he's, he's a really, really good acquisition as a manager. Villa hadn't beaten Man United at home in the Premier League since 1995, which, if memory serves me correctly, was the opening day when Alan Hansen said you'll win nothing with kids. I think that was that game. It was nice to hear Jacob Rabsey saying that Unai Emery had given everyone a clean slate. I'm still waiting for a player to come out and say, now the manager's told us he has his favourites and that's what's going to happen. Um, what did you make of United in this game, Paul? I kind of feel it's, it's uh, relatively, I'm probably going to be quite simplistic here, but I, I just think it's a, it's, a, it's a Thursday European hangover fixture. I, you know, they, they, they were... They played. They played. They played well enough away at Sociedad. Got the result. Didn't get the position they wanted. Uh, so that may have had a little bit of a, a hangover. But I just think a team like United, ten unbeaten previous to this. But you know, we know where they've come from. There's a. It's a. It's a. It's a journey. They're not. They're not the finished article. There's going to be some slipbacks. And when you're playing, you know, one, two, three days after an away fixture in Europe, that's probably when you're going to see it. I don't get the the Van der Beek selection personally. Um, you know why not? Why not stick? Um, why not stick Fred in there? You're away from home. Make it a little bit tougher. You're already playing Ganacho. You know if you if you if you if you 
you're already taking a bit of a risk out there. So I didn't quite get that, but I understand why you play. If he's kissed and made up with Cristiano, I understand why you play him. Uh, but yeah, that I I watched uh, smarter people than me analysing the the defensive shape without the ball, and they were wide open. Looked like last year, so maybe it's one of these things where just old habits die hard, and it's going to take a little bit of time. But I I, I do think um, Ten Hag is, is 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 clearly pulling United in the right direction, and and he wasn't happy with the performance. I think that's a good sign. Yeah, uh, Ronaldo versus Tyrone Mings was was quite fun for grappling fans. It felt quite judo to me, that particular fight. Um, and uh, uh, the reference to Thursday, the best part of the Europa League game was chucking Harry Maguire up front for the last 15, wasn't it? Can we not knock it? And Jack says, did anyone on the panel know that Jan Bednarek had moved to Villa? Definitely a Sergio Ramos to PSG Barry moment for me. I thought he'd moved to Leicester. <laughs> That's the other was that one. the other one? That's the other one. That's right. That's Vestergaard. Okay. That's Vestergaard. I thought they'd both gone. Anyway, anyway, Leeds four, Bournemouth three. Uh, Lucy, what what a brilliant game of football. And like the scenes at the end, the, 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 when Somerville scores, you know Elland Road better than most. It was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely crackers. And, and yeah, and, you know, all that at the end, and that's just Leeds fans. But, you know, the underlying, remember, I'm writing the, the Heartlands here and I walk the dogs on the morning and we, me and Neil walk the dogs on the morning and we'll get, what's he on about? What's he talking about? Every time I hear him talking, he's talking a load of rubbish. That's how people talk around it. And they, they are, there's still a lot of Leeds fans that are not having Jesse Marsh um, for whatever reason. And, and I'm just going by my small um, sample size around the park where we walk the dogs. I think he's been quite, fortunate that the players that he's he's brought in or the players that he's brought into the team are really playing you know really trying I think the Liverpool result was brilliant um and then but I it just I just get the sense that the Leeds fans are waiting for for something to go wrong so that they can have a go but uh yeah it was it it, it was um, I mean that's just Leeds isn't it it's it's you know it's it's sort of all or nothing but it's different to Bielsa because there was there was some sort of a, a a plan with Bielsa that uh the way that they sort of play but this seems a lot of chaos without that sort of underlying and but I tell you what if the if they're winning the the uh that it doesn't matter if they're getting three three points but that was absolutely crackers as was Liverpool, absolutely crackers at the end as well with with, with Somerville. It's interesting, Paul, that, that um, Jesse Marsh said of, of the goals they conceded that it's not that they're being too like gung ho. Then they're not being gung ho enough. They're not being aggressive enough. He wants them to like press even more than they are. Gung ho is uh, not the same as aggressive. That might be one of the issues. No, um, that's true. And that uh, but, true. but yeah, I mean, they, they, they weren't they weren't assertive enough on the goals, but. You know, I was I was impressed with Bournemouth's work in and around the area. I thought it was good. They have Philip Billing looks a you know a real talent in unconventional makeup for for that role he plays and does it really effectively. Solanke proving himself in the top flight, lovely finish. So you know, I don't I don't think you know I don't think Leeds are a very good team, and I don't I don't think they are. I think they are in the relegation battle with Bournemouth. So. You know that that the, they struggled against this team is probably not not that surprising, but I think from the fan, you know, from that supporters' point of view, I think, you know, don't I think I I've been to Ellen Road a few times, a lot of Leeds supporting friends. I do think Leeds fans like chaos. They like excitement. You know, they like that kind of the thing that makes them create that noise in the ground. So 
you know, for, I understand that people haven't, the vibes aren't right with, with Marsh, but the kind of football isn't that far away from what kind of gets people going. And rather that than something sterile and, you know, playing for the point or whatever and hit somebody on the counter, perhaps. I mean, Liverpool should probably have beaten them and Bournemouth should have gone 5-1 up in this game. They missed two very good chances. So they, they are games that could have gone either way and probably should have gone the oppos- opposition's way, but, but Leeds still won both. Yeah, I think that they play better against better teams when they don't have much of the possession. When the onus is on Leeds, then the opposition can, if you block centrally and let them have it wide, they don't have that much width. So it's it's quite easy when you're a team that come to Ellen Road or you, you're playing them at home, if you're not expected to just be the ones that, that run all over them, that like versus Liverpool versus Arsenal, they did well as well. Obviously they beat Chelsea. Um, and I think that's the that that's the bit that's that annoys Leeds fans. But in terms of having moments like Saturday, like Paul said, it, that, that's what you want as a fan. You want to have the, those sort of highs because you don't want it to be mundane. Um, I googled Sam Greenwood. I wasn't aware of him uh, before that beautiful goal, and it was a beautiful goal, wasn't he? Um, a, a youth academy player at Sunderland, uh, according to Wikipedia. Barry spent two years at Arsenal. Uh, has played England under 17s all the way up to the 21s. Jamie says, now finding myself seeking out Jesse March's post-match interviews. I find him absolutely compelling. I wish he was my line manager at work. Sorry, Keith, he says. Hashtag uh, trust the process. Um, and you've got a feel for Bournemouth, haven't you? Giving away two-goal lead for the second game in a row. Like when, you, when every point matters, you can't get no points from that. Let's go to the Etihad, Manchester City 2, Fulham one. I mean, Fulham held out for so long, Paul. And and that penalty is... It's interesting that that was a penalty. Emmanuel Dennis got kicked in a similar way for Forrest. We'll get to that. And obviously we had the the sort of Cancelo, Ryan Sessegnon one. I think Ryan Yates as well for Forrest got pushed over and it wasn't a penalty. They do. I mean, but Anthony Robinson does not need to go in for that challenge. And that is what must... Like, if you're a Fulham player, if you're him or if you're a fan, must make you really frustrated. Yeah, I guess I guess it I guess it it would do, and you know it's not about whether you've made the challenge you didn't need to make. It's about whether you make a a, a challenge that's illegal within the game, and that was you know he did he did kick him, and and you know it's that that's that unfortunately it probably wasn't the greatest contact in the history of football, but he did, um, and and he and he sort of made that challenge because he got bamboozled by De Bruyne, you know. who pulled off a really nice piece of skill in a close quarter because he's an elite player. You know, it had that. There is something kind of um, league un about the way that you know, that result came about. It was like, you know, can, can can they really drop points against Fulham at home? They haven't lost a man who could really happen this time. Oh, no, it didn't. They still won three points. You know, there is some, there is a, there is a, there is an inevitability uh, about, about City sometimes, which, which isn't for the romantics. Um, but, you know, there you go. That's what that's what that's what Pep has built. Erling Haaland only just scored, Barry. Um, the players did a lap of honour after the final whistle. Where does that rank on the Richard Keys Arsenal celebrate too soon scale for you? I have no problem with players celebrating wins whatsoever, especially if they're last, you know, deep in injury time. You score. What is it? most rubbish penalties I've seen. Bert Leno <laughs> could have thrown his hat on that and I somehow went through me. He went into hologram mode. And so, yeah, of course, I, the relief is understandable. I, I felt a bit sorry for Fulham because I thought that was a very soft penalty to, to award. 
And but they were very passive against ten men, and I thought they could and probably should have had a better goal. Yeah, I, Lucy, listening to her Harland afterwards, you know, he did make the point that playing with ten against eleven for seventy odd minutes is actually quite hard. And Pep said it was one of the performances of our seven years together. I feel Pep says that after most games um but you know that 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 is a sign of how good City are right that they lost a man but they were still just so much better yeah I mean the the thing he just took a player out of the 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 back line and made sure they still had five in in attack that's and that's what Barry said is that if Fulham would have had a go and that took a bit more risk then they they could have got that uh, second goal before City did, but just allow Man City to, to 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 do that and grab control of the game, and and then just think, well, let's just hold out for a point because this morning when I woke up, Michael Silver thought, well, a point we would be quite happy with. But as the game went on, and Man City went down to ten, then you know you've got to sort of think differently. Perhaps they could have got that 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 second goal, but. Um, you know, like uh, allowed Pep to do what to uh, get the players in the positions that he normally does. You could, you could also. I, I, I sympathise with Silver's dilemma because you could have also opened yourself up to conceding that second goal early. You know, you, you go for it, you get turned over, the ball hits De Bruyne, he pings it through the defensive line, and Harlan's onto it, and then, and then you're gone. So yeah, it, I, that's the problem with City. You know, it, it's every every option that you take against them carries a substantial risk with it. Let's go to the City Ground Forest 2, Brentford 2. Um, Barry, this game felt quite Vary penalties. Steve Cooper was saying, well, look, if that is a Brentford penalty, then we should have had three. Dean Henderson was very upset. Probably should have got sent off, actually, for all his protests. Yeah. Absolutely. He was very lucky not to get sent off uh, for a descent. Like, it was, I, I don't know how he got away with that, to be honest. Yeah, there was four penalty calls in this game. One of them was given to Brentford. The other three should have been given to Forrest. I thought they were all penalties. And a match of the day, Gary Lineker thought none of them were. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't know. Um, I, 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 I thought uh, Emmanuel Dennis was brought down by Matthias Jensen. Penalty. Wasn't given. Uh, Yates shoved over by Josh De Silva. Wasn't given. Should have been. I think. It's a, you know, a push is. Yeah. And that is similar to. Trent Alexander-Arnold and and uh, Hal Cancelo. Uh, Morgan Gibbs-White was tripped by Ben Mee. Wasn't given. I thought it should have been. And the one that was given was Henderson. I accept he got a little bit of the ball, but he also clearly grabbed um, Johan Wiss's shin and, and brought him down. So I think they should all have been given. Gary Lineker and Jermaine Jenis thought none of them should have been given. I, I thought maybe the one when... Me and Gibbs White sort of left his foot there. I thought maybe that wasn't a penalty, but I, I I don't see a massive difference between the Emmanuel Dennis one and the Kevin De Bruyne one, right? You know, he gets kicked. He probably doesn't need to go down. Dennis just takes a bit longer to go down than Kevin De Bruyne. It wasn't a natural, he didn't fall naturally. He just went, oh, I've been kicked. I might as well fall on the floor. And I think you're right with Ryan Yates, that, that one, Paul, when you get pushed, it, it doesn't have to be a big push. Like, you know, like, Trent on Sessegnon wasn't a big push, but it is still, you're not allowed to, you're not meant to be allowed to do that. No, I mean, the, the thing I remember is the is the instruction from the summer saying that, you know, it, referees are going to be looking more askance at players who go to ground 
under minimal contact and they're going to be wanting people to stay up and play on. And and if people do stay up and play on, but yet they've been impacted by a foul, the referee will will acknowledge that. And I, th- I find that a ve- it's a very complicated thing to... It's just another another aspect of uh, subjective decision-making to put into the mix, which I think complicates matters. But I, I, I struggle with these when they're not given and then, you know, VAR should be looking at them. And, you know... If if he hasn't if the referee hasn't made a mistake, then it's no overturn. But if you're saying that that is a foul because it's been given a foul in, in plenty of other games, then well, the equivalent, then th- that's what VAR should be doing. I, it it's a mess. It's a mess. It is. I mean, the, the whistle's finished for, was beautiful actually. That that run through, and 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 for the penalty as well. You know, is there more pressure on anyone? than someone taking a penalty in place of Ivan Tony, right? You're, you're, you're standing in for the greatest penalty on earth. The, the Tony situation is interesting. He says he's assisting the FA with their inquiries after a national newspaper reports alleged he was being investigated for gambling on football. Uh, the FA prohibits players from betting on the sports, claim the 26-year-old's being investigated for historical bets made before he joined Brentford. Um, the FA declined... Uh, to comment, Brentford say, we note the story. Um, the club will not be commenting. Uh, Ivan Tony tweeted, um, I'm aware of a story about me in a national newspaper. I've been assisting the FA with their inquiries. Will not be making any comment until such investigation has reached its conclusion. I'm a proud Englishman. It's always been my childhood dream to play for my country at a World Cup final. I'm not sure what the problem is with footballers gambling, as long as they're not gambling on games they're involved in. Um, that obviously is a no-no. But... Um, if he is found guilty of, of breaking the rules, he's looking at a ban. I don't know how long it'll take for, to, for this inquiry to take place. I understand why the rules are like that, because it's about privileged information. It's about, you know, you could know something that will influence a market, even if it is a, a youth game in France, because you play with somebody whose brother is in the team or whatever. I, I, I can understand why. And once you kind of say, yeah, well, that would never happen in a further a, a, a further flung destination or a really obscure competition. That may well be true, but where do you draw the line? It becomes tricky. Mm, it is worth pointing out here that um, I was still eleven to four with the bookies to take over Football Weekly from James Richardson, but I didn't put a bet on or tell anybody because I didn't want to go to prison when I had the job already. Clap, em- clap um, emoji for you. So, <laughs> more for me, maybe. But there we go. Um, I'm also not allowed to bet on any we're not allowed to bet on any other podcasts of who what might happen such other as a blanket ban on us betting across podcasts anyway that'll do for part two part three rest of the Premier League and quite a lot of other stuff as well welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly Wolves 2 Brighton 3 um, well, this is another brilliant game, Baz, wasn't it? And Adam Lallana was, his goal was brilliant and his cross for Matoma was brilliant as well. Get him on that plane. <laughs> I don't think he'll be making the plane, but yeah, it was a, a good performance from him, a good performance from Brighton. They're scoring lots of goals now. Karu Matoma looks a great find. He, he was outstanding in this game. Picked him up for a, a song, I think, from uh, a club, Kawasaki in Japan. Um, he he used to ride a big motorbike, and uh, he yeah, I'm very impressed with him. And I felt a bit sorry for Wolves 
insofar as I think it's the first time they've scored two goals in a Premier League game since late April or early May. You said the late eighties. <laughs> <laughs> and they still contrived to lose. And uh they weren't helped obviously by um Semido's red card. But yeah, Brighton kind of left it late to, to get the winner, but they were I think they deserved it. Julian Lopetegui's taken the job at, at uh, Wolves. Um, they asked him before, I think it was one of his parents was unwell, sort of other mitigating circumstances from not taking the job rather than just ha- having a, a complete change of heart. I mean, it, he's a really accomplished coach, Lucy. It sort of seems like a, a, a good appointment. Obviously, it's a very difficult situation that he's coming into. Yeah, I do think it's a good... They obviously wanted him right from the start. In fact, they wanted him from 2016 when they first uh, got the club. He ended up being Spain coach and then remember we're getting sacked on the first yeah. before the 2018 World Cup started because he was going to go join Real Madrid and that lasted about 100 and odd days but yeah I, I think in terms of in terms of a coach of some pedigree I think he definitely is that um, they have they do have the players we talk about the fact that they, they need to score more goals they scored two yesterday and still couldn't could, couldn't win but I think it, it you could you can salvage what's happening, I think, at Wolves. And I think that's why they've they've obviously made the move now. Michael says, is a 2-0 home loss to Leicester further proof that Frank Lampard just gets Everton? Yeah, are, are Leicester good now? That that finish from Tielemans, Paul. I mean, I don't know which goal you think is better from Tielemans, that one or the one he scored, I forget who it was against a couple of weeks ago, both in the top left-hand corner. Yeah, I, I just um, I watched goal of the month just before we started recording the pod and saw that goal for the first time and I was the audible gasp when that went in. I mean that yeah, both both brilliant. I mean he's capable of that, isn't he? And to see him and Madison on form, uh both is, you know, testimony to to Brendan Rogers really. There's obviously got to be a feeling inside the club, amongst those big names they still have, that this club is its project is on pause, you know, and that they that that they are they're going to be expected to hold the team together, and 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 yet that appears to be what they're doing alongside Vout Face, Vout Face, Vout Fast. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, this 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 guy unheralded, unheralded De- uh, David Luiz tribute act. Who you know, ever since he's come into the team, they've 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 tightened up a load, and I think it's what one goal in five games now conceded when they, you know, basically conceded a goal every half prior to that. So yeah, I mean, you know, kudos to kudos to Brendan Rodgers because I think all the stories were written about him about you know eventually it all falls apart and whatnot. And uh, but there's a there's a this is still a bigger longer term question and it hadn't occurred to me before Barry said it, but yeah, Madison to Newcastle in 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 January sounds it seems very sensible prediction. Madison is such a such a brilliant footballer Barry it's almost got past it's got past people yelling getting on the plane it's now build the team build the entire England team around him which it's very unlikely to happen and you know play people play different systems Southgate plays a different system there are other good attacking players but he's just a joy to watch on a football pitch yeah I I think he should be in the England squad I I think he should be in the England team but Working, you know, we have our rule. If you're if you're putting someone on the plane, you have to say who you're taking off the plane. And if he goes, it's pretty much you're picking between Grealish and Mount to not go. And I can't see that happening. But on current form, Madison is miles better than either. 
Um, and I think current form is going to be <laughs> crucial going into a World Cup that's being played in the middle of the season. One small thing I'd say is I don't think he's that big a fan. I know he's not a fan of Madison, but I don't think he's that big a fan of Jack Grealish. He obviously is a Mason Mount. Foden's not playing brilliantly at the moment, but he's such a, an amazing talent, isn't he? I mean, I, I guess you're sort of splitting hairs between who's going to be on the bench for England shouldn't make a massive difference. Well, if Southgate picked his final 26 and I Foden, Mount or Grealish was missing from it, there would yeah. be uproar. I mean, I think there'll be uproar, uproar, regardless of what squad is ever picked by any England manager ever. You know, going back to when I had Jimmy Greaves' World Cup contenders on VHS and he wanted Steve Grizovich to be the goalkeeper. I'm like, that seems a very odd choice, Jimmy. Who, who would Augie have been in for? That's a good question. I think he had Shilton, Besant and Grizovich and no place for Chris Woods. There would have been absolute outrage at the time. Um, can I just admonish match of the day, The uh, at least the Twitter, whoever, the admin, for asking if Yuri Tiedemann's goal was a half volley. I think I spent half my life explaining what half volley is to football fans. And I don't know why it's a hill I decided. <laughs> How do people well, not, not know what a half volley well, but, is? I don't well, like, this is the thing they don't. like could, Because what happened was BT tweeted out that Kieran Tierney had scored a half volley for Arsenal on Thursday. And he didn't because the ball had bounced really high. Yeah. A half volley is like in... It's a drop goal in rugby. It's a half yeah. volley in cricket or tennis. Not every shot is a half volley. But it's amazing how many people don't know what a half volley is. And argue with you on Twitter. Can I yeah. Imagine? And what am I wasting my life? But for match <laughs> of the day and BT to not know what a half volley. But match of the day said, match of the day said, is this a half volley? They didn't just call it up. They were like, let's have a poll. You know, that's like saying, is the earth flat? I mean, it's just, you can't, well. you can't put that out on Twitter. Well, I mean, you clearly can put it on Twitter and, you know, soon you can put whatever you fucking like on Twitter. <laughs> as long as you don't make fun of the new owner, you can. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I bow down to... Exactly. <laughs> so, Mr. Musk, you are a wonderful human being or whatever you have to say now. Um, anyway, you know, people should know what a half volley is. Not every... The, the, the difficulty comes with a ball that has bounced... And then you strike it on the volley, but it's not a volley, as in a ball that hasn't bounced at all, but a ball that's up in the air to differentiate that from a ball that's on the ground, which obviously cricket and tennis don't have to worry with. But it's a, it's, we don't have time for this, says Joel. We, uh, listen, this is the most important thing we've discussed on the pod today. Uh, let's go to the London Stadium. West Ham 1, Crystal Palace 2. Palace's first away win of the season. They move up to 10th. Um, uh, quite a few people asking questions about David Moyes. Terry says, never mind Ralph being in the last chance saloon. is time up for the Moisire. Uh, BJD with 36 points from their last 32 Premier League games. When will the pod start asking if Moyes' bubble has burst? Paul? Um, well, it won't, it won't happen with me because I would never... I'm a, I'm a big Moyes aficionado and I, uh, I don't think it's a bubble um, at all. I think he's delivered and he's delivered the best Premier League form for West Ham for many a year and he's taken them into Europe for the first time since the 80s and they had a brilliant European run I mean what they did in Europe last year was fantastic people who want more than that or feel that they should be getting more than that are entitled and I don't have much time for them but you know they are they're they're not looking too good at the minute and again Thursday night European football uh, they look tired they look sloppy particularly mentally Uh, but uh, I think 
the one contrast I was making in my head was with Eddie Howe, right? So why aren't why aren't West Ham as good as Newcastle? Uh, because Newcastle weren't a very good team and now are a very good team and West Ham were a good team and don't look a very good team. And they both spent uh, significant amounts of money on strengthening their squad. And I, I, I kind of feel like it's just timing at this moment in time that you are, that that period from expectations were low for Newcastle, but that period last season where they managed to bed in Guimar race in particular, Dan Byrne, and then strengthen again in the summer to allow the kind of the things to move right. I think you've kind of got a mishmash of two different 11s at the minute with West Ham and they don't look... I thought in recent weeks, I watched a bit of Kera and Zuma at centre-half. I thought they were building a good partnership, but, that you know, Kera's obviously at fault for the first goal yesterday. Um, but I think it's a transition at this moment in time and having... European competition is not is not is not helping. Plus, Scamacca, I rate him. I think he's a good striker. They needed somebody to relieve Antonio, but Antonio did so much work for that team. He was so crucial to that team. Taking that out, replacing it with a sort of different set of skills, is is I think um, going to require adjustment. So that's my take on it. We always talk about fine margins, Barry, but you know the fact is in the ninety fifth minute, whatever, Mikel Antonio's down the right hand side and has got maybe three people to pick out with a cross and doesn't, and then Palace score about. 25 seconds later. It, it gave a fine marriage, but Palace deserved to win. And, and even Moyes said as much after the game. Uh, great great goal by Michael Alisi. Uh, bit of luck with the deflection. But um, Palace could easily have, have just run down the clock there. You know, you're getting a point away at West Ham. That's that's all right. But they, they went for the win and they got it. And they deserved it. The other thing I noticed from this game was in the post-match interview, Declan Rice's hair without any product is enormous. There's so much, it's so voluminous, yes, yes. isn't it? There's so much of Declan Rice's hair. He could, he could like give, he could give locks away to balding fans. He's got so much of it. It's extraordinary, yes, Paul. I just want to pay a tribute to Wilf Zaha's finish for his goal, which I thought was excellent, um, and also Miguel Almiron's for his goal. Mm. Similar early take. Uh, hit with real precision and power. Really, really nice, classy finishes both. Noted. And also, it did feel like it's not fair for Wilfred Zaha and Craig Dawson to be in any kind of race <laughs> for anything, is what I thought. Um, uh, in the FA Cup first round, some real fun stuff here. Seventh tier Alverchurch beating Cheltenham 2-1. They're the lowest ranked team in the competition. Uh, Joe Hanks scored a lovely back heel for Chippenham, beating Lincoln. Farnborough beat Sutton 2-0. Kings Lynn beat Doncaster. Um, and Connor Wickham with the moment of the round, Barry. Yeah, um, I thought Connor Wickham had retired, so I was surprised when he pop, popped up on my, my Twitter feed. He's, he's, I've, I've been quite a fan of his since his Sunderland days, uh, and he, he single-handedly kept them up one one season with a flurry of late goals. But I, I thought he'd succumb to the knee injuries that have plagued him and retired. So uh, how delightful to see him pop up scoring in Injury time, well, they were a goal up Forest Green against uh, South Shields, who were managed by another Sunderland legend, Kevin Phillips. And uh, basically a couple of yards inside the halfway line, spotted the South Shields keeper off his line and went for it. And the the South Shields goalkeeper backpedaled furiously and probably would have kept the ball out, except it just dropped right into the the top corner. Mm. Uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful strike and, and lovely to see it go in. Lucas Podolski had one the same day. I also thought he'd retired. So, um, not in the FA Cup first round, though. Not in the FA Cup first round. I must confess, I still don't know who he plays for. 
Or who he plays he? for the Polish club Gornik Zabrze. Right. So uh, good for Lucas and his kebab shop. To be fair, to be fair, sorry, Max, both Connor Wickham and Podolski thought that you'd retired when you weren't on the radio <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. Well, they were very, both two of many very disappointed people when TalkSport decided that commentary of Chelsea-Arsenal was more important than us two idiots chatting away. Uh, Honourable mentions for, for Torquay came out from 2-0 down to get a draw with Derby. And Kirsten Ashton, who somehow held the mighty Cambridge United to a goalless draw. Um, buckets doing the rounds in, in terms of Qatar. Uh, a letter written by FIFA, German protests. Uh, Philippe is on the pod tomorrow. We've got a bit of time uh, to look at those. Um, but uh, Kay says, after hearing Richard Maidley ask Gary Neville more hard-hitting questions than yourself, would you change your interview given the chance? This is uh, Gary Neville who was on Have I Got News For You, Barry. And he got a bit of a... He got a, bit of a uh, going over by Maidley and Ian Hislop, even more specifically. Yeah, um, they they were calling him out for taking the the state shill, shilling by by going and being sports, and I, I think the criticism is justified. Do you think we were too easy on him? I'll tell you something about that interview with Gary. A, he was ten minutes late, and we had a very tight window, and B. When he gets going, it's very hard to get a word in edgeways. And there were a couple of things I wanted to pull him up on, mainly the, the easy ride he was giving David Beckham. But he he's, he's very eloquent and just talks and talks and talks and talks and talks. Um, and, yeah, I, I was struggling at times to, to get a word in. But I don't think we gave him a, an easy ride. I think we asked him some pertinent questions. But... The, the, the interview was more about his book on how to fix football. It wasn't about the World Cup and it wasn't... But yeah, I, I, I think we should have given him a harder time over the easy ride he was giving David Beckham for shilling yeah, for Qatar. I think you're right. I mean, I think... Yeah, I mean, we were, we were trying to talk to him about the structure of English football. I actually didn't know he was working for BN until he mentioned it on the pod, but then did, I suppose... Did he mention it I, on I think, the pod, though? Okay, yeah, right. he did, because I didn't know he was doing that. Um, and I think we were the first people to actually ask him anything about David Beckham. So I felt like, oh, actually, I think we've been quite good at asking that question. But on reflection, I think, listen, you don't get any further answers, but you could have been stronger on it. I think we could have, I think we could have done that. Uh, uh, I don't want to retire and let Richard maybe take over the pod. I'm not, I, don't know, I don't actually think the pod would be better, but maybe that is what should happen. But I, if, if he takes over your job, does that mean Judy gets mine? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's what happens. You know, it would get some headlines at least, wouldn't it? But yeah, no, I think we could have done a, a slightly, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm kicking myself over it, but I think we, we could have been a bit tougher on him to be perfectly honest um we have just got time barry for the mls final and we'll, now we were going to get a, a, a voice note from lars but you watched the whole thing and it was it was an amazing game yeah i look i know we're stuck for time here so we, we it's lafc uh from the uh western conference they were the western conference winners and uh philadelphia union were the eastern conference winners first time in 19 years or 18 or 19 years that the two conference win, the people who topped the conference actually met in the MLS Cup final. And uh, if we go to to full time, it's two all. So ref, uh, you know, there's like two 15-minute periods of extra time. Gareth Bale comes on for LAFC. And uh, in the second half of, of extra time, the LFC keeper is LAFC keeper. I'm going to call them Los Angeles because LAFC okay. <laughs> is getting me tongue-tied. The Los Angeles uh, 
keeper, uh, Maxime Cripple, he's sold short by a back pass, has to gallop out of his area, tackle someone. He gets a yellow card. Uh, VAR tells the ref to go and have a look. The ref has a look, takes away the yellow. And at this point, Crepo is on a stretcher with a broken leg, gets uh, the ignominy of being red carded while on a stretcher with a broken leg. I, I love to see a guy in a stretcher get a, uh, a red card. Obviously, I don't want to see anyone with a broken leg. And the poor guy, he's a Canada keeper, no World Cup for him. So uh, commiserations to, to Maxime. Um, and yeah, just out of the World Cup because of a shit back pass. So he's replaced by a guy called John McCarthy in goal, who's a Philadelphia native, uh, a former Philadelphia Union player. Uh, at which point, uh, Philadelphia Union um, go 3-2 up. And then with uh, 90 seconds of extra time remaining, Gareth Bale um, outjumps a six-foot, six-inch defender, Jack Elliott, who had already scored <laughs> twice for Union, outjumps him to equalise with a brilliant header, goes to penalties, and uh, John McCarthy um, saves two or three, and Los Angeles win the MLS Cup final. And John McCarthy gets the MVP, you know, man of the match, despite having been only coming on for about the last nine minutes of <laughs> of 130. So, yeah, it, it's well worth digging out the highlights. Unbelievably exciting game. And, and yeah, it's just a shame that, that uh, Maxime Crepo is going to miss the World Cup. Uh, thank you, Barry. Enjoyed that. I will dig them out. And uh, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, back with a mailbag tomorrow. And we'll do the... European draws as well, the Champions League, Red League draws, uh, do quite a lot of Qatar stuff with uh, uh, Philippe and Jonathan Wilson. Uh, but for the time being, Lucy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Christian Bennett. This is The Guardian. 